This is Paul speaking. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And then Galatians 2.8, For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised or to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And Gentiles just means non-Jews. Let's pray, could we? Lord, thank you for what you have for us today. Lord, there, there is fire in your eyes today for every single person that is here. Would you please speak? Speak in a way that we can hear. Lord, each unique person needs to kind of hear this a little different. We are trusting you to speak your message to each person. Please, God, we will give you all the glory for every good, wonderful, beautiful thing that happens in this place. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we have been going through this story, which is, when I say the story, it's the story of the Bible. We've been telling the story of the Bible through 31 weeks, where we started in Genesis and we're ending in Revelation, and each week is a piece of that puzzle, and now we are in, not just in the New Testament, but we are... Um, the early church has begun, the Holy Spirit has been poured out, and now we're going to look at uh, the Apostle Paul and his, his story. And so uh, I've titled the message, A Messenger of God. So here's Paul's story. He's born in a place called Tarsus, which is the capital of Cilicia in Turkey. And it is a Roman city. It is a very important city. It's actually the capital of Cilicia. And because of it, everybody that's born in this city is automatically a Roman citizen. He's born in this city. He's raised for a little while in this city. And, but he's raised to Jewish parents of some wealth. So they send him to Jerusalem at a young age. And he becomes a disciple of one of the most famous rabbis of that time, Gamaliel. He grows up in training. He is intellectually a whiz. He ascends in such a way that he he becomes what he, he calls himself in uh, 
Philippians 3, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as for the law, faultless. In other words, he is like the best student. He's like number one in the class. He is on this path to success, to, to, to grasp how successful you got to kind of get into that culture. This is a religious culture. This is very unlike America. The leaders of this country are the Sanhedrin. Now, they're in the Roman Empire, so there's a procurator from Rome that kind of oversees it. But the leaders of this country are the religious leaders. So when Paul is rising in esteem and in position... It's not just like he's like a pastor. He's like a pastor and politician. And he's like the best guy. He's like the number one guy. He is very ambitious. He is a go-getter. And uh, when Christianity begins, he is this rising star in, in Israel. And he realizes that Christianity, or it's called the way, is an offense to the way Judaism had been understood to that time. And so he is 100% against it. And he starts persecuting Christians. He goes to the high priest and says, we, we need to take this on the road. We need, to, we need to track this thing down and squash it everywhere that it exists. So he actually gets letters from the high priest that give him full authority to do whatever he has to do to squelch out the way, Christianity. And so we now come to his conversion, and I'm just going to use his own words. This is in Acts 26. He is before... Uh, Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, who is the king of the Jews at that time, and he's on trial, and here's, here's his testimony. Acts 26, 9 through 19. We got it up here, too. I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. 
to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. So he's telling the story of his conversion. What happens afterwards, after he's converted, he goes back to Tarsus and... um, preaches the gospel and he he gets kicked out of the town and they have to lower him down because the Jews all want to kill him and but the the apostles in Jerusalem are afraid of him because they they know his story but one guy named Barnabas comes and says no no we need to trust this guy and so Barnabas presents him to the apostles and um, the apostles accept him and he talks to the apostles and then he he goes back and uh a while later, Barnabas is in Antioch and he's teaching and preaching and the church is being raised up and he's like, you know who we need here? We, we need Saul. And so he sends to uh, find Saul and Barnabas brings him to Antioch with him and he has, he's laboring alongside Barnabas and, and then there's a prayer meeting. It says that some prophets and teachers were ministering to the Lord. They were just having a time where they were wasting themselves at God's feet, just ministering to him, just giving him the thing that he wants more than anything else, which is our our love and our fellowship. And this is Acts 13. And in the midst of this, God speaks. And he says, I want you to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I have called them to. God had already called him. God called him right at conversion. But just because you're called, we had a young man here called. He says, I'm going to be a missionary when I grow up. And that could very well be the case. He could already have that call in him. Just because you're called to something doesn't mean all of a sudden you get to take over and do it. God has a timing for our call. And so God uses the prophetic to give the timing, to confirm this is the time now to be released. And so Saul and Barnabas go out and he changes his name because he is being sent to Gentiles. He changes his name from Saul, which is a Jewish name, to Paul, which is a Roman name. The first trip he goes out, him and Barnabas go out, tremendous, tremendous results. They come back to Antioch. The second time he goes out, Paul and Barnabas get into a fight over whether John Mark should come with or not because John Mark went on the first trip, but then he left them halfway, and Paul doesn't want to take somebody that's only halfway, and Barnabas says, no, Mark's a good man. I'm staying with him, and so, so Barnabas and Mark go one way, and Paul goes on his second trip with a man named Silas, and once again, signs and wonders, powerful things happening in the name of the Lord. He comes back again, and the third trip, he goes with many including Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So we have three trips. The last trip ends up in Roman imprisonment, and he wrote most of the New Testament while in prison. Amazing, amazing man. God tells him up front, I am going 
to protect you from the Jews and the Gentiles who I am sending you to. I'm, I'm going to protect you from people that I'm sending you to. The very people that are going to be against you, the very people that are going to try to kill you, I, I'm going to have to protect you from them. But make no mistake about it, I'm sending you to them. Because here's my purpose for them, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and that they might be sanctified by faith in me. I've, I've got a, a plan for them. This is a repicturing of his conversion. When he gets struck down in Damascus by this light and falls to the ground, he actually becomes blind by that light. And for the first time, he can finally see spiritually. He, and he, he sees the truth. And um, so he goes back into Damascus. He's led into to Damascus by his men. His men do not become blind. He's the only one that becomes blind. They lead him back into Damascus to a guy's house named Judas who lives on Straight Street. And while this is all happening, God appears to this other guy in a vision. Jesus appears to a guy named Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and I want you... uh, There's a man praying there named Saul. Saul of Tarsus. I want you to go pray for him because I want him to be forgiven. I want him to be healed. I want him to be filled with my spirit. And Ananias says, Lord, you know I love you. But I I know all about this guy. You're not, this is not the first I've heard of him. He is killing your people. He has come here to kill me. He is from Damascus. His, his, His name is Ananias of Damascus. He came here to kill all Christians, including me. And the Lord says, yeah, I understand that. I, I, I understand that. But I'm sending you to the one that came to kill you. And so he goes, and Paul receives his sight. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and that happens. And then we see this repeated. Paul goes to Philippi, and the authorities throw him in prison. The, he is beaten. The, j, the very jailer that is c- called to chain him and entrap him, the, the very one that is against Paul, God sends this earthquake and uh, all of the chains come off and the doors are open and the jailer himself, the very one who was against Paul, is about ready to commit suicide because he, he's let all the prisoners go because of this earthquake. And Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. We're all still here. And the jailer says, what shall I do? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And that jailer, the very one that was against Paul, gets saved, his whole family gets saved, and God sends him to the one that was against him. When he's imprisoned in Rome, the very people that are imprisoning him, the Roman guard that have been assigned to keep him down, to squelch him, this is a known prisoner. While he's in chains, he starts preaching to them. 
And he says the whole, he, he writes in one of his letters, the whole Roman guard has gotten saved. The very ones that were against me are the ones that God has sent me to. They are now forgiven. They are now adopted. They are now sanctified or set apart because of their faith in Christ. So here's the upper story. That's Paul's story. Here's the upper story. God says that he was choosing Paul for three reasons. First, he says, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. Number one reason that God comes after Paul is so that Paul can know him. Number one, that he might know Jesus. Paul later in Philippians 3 says that this is the highlight of his life. Everything else has become like dung to me compared to the excellency of knowing Christ. He became to Paul the treasure in the field that for joy he sold everything that he might own that field. Jesus says, so that Paul might serve him. He says, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. And then thirdly, he chose him that he might turn around and send him. I want you to think about for a moment God's sovereign preparation of Paul to make him this messenger. So God just uses everything. He uses his Roman citizenship. The fact that he's born in Tarsus, a Roman capital, the fact that he's born a Roman citizen, that ends up to be what gets him out of trouble in many places. He is a Roman citizen. He takes his training in Judaism and all of the knowledge that he gets, the the natural knowledge, the knowledge of the law, and he uses all of it to write the New Testament, to give the theology of what it means to be in Christ and how that connects to the Old Testament promises. He knew all of the Greek poetry because of his, all of his training in Tarsus early on. He quotes Greek poems in Acts 17 when he's, he's in Athens and, and he's trying to reach these people and he, he finds this altar to an unknown God and he, he, he quotes one of their poets that in him we live and move and have our being about the, the unseen, great, mighty God that's behind all things. He quotes a Greek poet in Titus. He knows their literature, and God uses it. Paul says, I become all things to all people. To the Jews, I I do it Jewish. To the Greeks, to the Gentiles, I can talk their language. I, I I don't just exegete scripture. I exegete culture. I know how to bring the message in each place. This is just part of who he is. This is part of his upbringing. He was being fashioned by God for this purpose. And then his personality. There are different types of personalities. If you're you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs, there's 16 basic types of personalities, and some people just hate the Myers-Briggs because they don't want to be boxed off, but... Uh, There's so much truth in it. Well, Paul is type A. 
He is a bulldozer. He is, he gets his eyes on something and he goes and he puts his head down and he plows through it and we see this before he's even saved. We see he's already a missionary. He can't sit still. It's not enough for him to persecute the Christians in Jerusalem. He needs to take it on the road. There's something in him that's going. I'm going. I'm going. Parents, be encouraged at that type A kid that won't ever obey you. It's like he's got his own program or she's got her own program and, and she's just, I, I, don't, I don't understand. This one is so obedient and this one, I can't do anything with him. It's like they think they're in charge. Well, get ready. You've got a little apostle in your house. God takes even the things that were ours before we were saved, the, the personality, the training, the, and he's, he's preparing his messenger for his purpose. Nothing is wasted. The upper story. Paul is saved. Not because Ananias was patient. Paul says, I was saved so that I could be an example of God's immense patience. He said, I was the worst of sinners. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I I deserve the worst punishment. But God wanted to demonstrate His own immense patience. Do you know that the agape love of God, 1 Corinthians 13, describes agape. It starts like this. Love is patient. Real love is patient. Isn't that interesting? It's just the opposite of lust, isn't it? Lust is very impatient. It has to have what it wants. has to have it right now. The love of God is, first of all, patient. And as Paul is kicking against the goads and going 100% against God, God's like, I love him. And I'm going to forgive everything he's doing against me. And God saves him. And God saves the jailer and his family, not because Paul is patient, but because God is patient. And he saves the Roman cohort, not because Paul is patient, but because he is patient. God is patient. Do you know why we're still here? Do you know why we're not in heaven right now? Do you you want to know why Jesus hasn't returned and taken his bride? The Bible says why. 2 Peter 3.9. The reason Peter says that Jesus has not returned yet is because God is patient, not when wanting any to perish, but all to come to repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. The immense patience of God. If you are here today and you are a Christian, let me tell you why you're a Christian. Because God is immensely patient. And he loved you and he waited for you and he waited for you and he waited for you until he could save you. And if you're not a Christian here today, 
You need to know this. Here's why you're here. God's got you here. You certainly didn't choose yourself to come. Something pushed you to this service. It's because God loves you, and he's reaching out to you today. There will be a chance at the end of this service to respond to that call. All right, let's look at the upper living life today in light of the upper story. First, listening for God and responding to his jealous love. Guys, from now on, everything, you're just going to probably want to hold on writing any of my points because I've, I've changed them all. It's all, it's all different. <laughs> Responding to his jealous love. Paul is the second rich young ruler. The first rich young ruler we're going to look at in a moment. Because of his great wealth, he turned away in sadness when Jesus told him to sell everything and follow him. Paul is the second one who's invited to give away everything he has as his. His wealth is not his money. His wealth is his title. His wealth is his ambition. His wealth is everything that he's becoming politically and religiously in the Jewish community. And he's invited to give it all away. I want to tell you what happened to me Thursday morning because what happened to me this last Thursday morning was for everyone here. Whenever I have an experience, I know it's not for me. It's for, it's for everybody. It's because of the position God's given me to speak. Here's what happened to me Thursday morning. It's early in the morning. I'm not fully awake, but I'm not fully asleep. I'm, I'm in that in-between part. Sometimes during the day, God can't speak to me that clearly because my mind is already going so quickly. And as I'm in that place, the Holy Spirit gives me a sentence. Maybe it's two sentences. Here's here's what he said. Those who want to follow Jesus will be surprised by two things. First, they will be surprised by how much he asks them to give. It will be surprising how much he asks you to give. And the second surprise is how much he's willing to give to those who hold nothing back from him. There's going to be two surprises. If if you want to follow Jesus, if you're for real wanting to follow him, you're going to be surprised by how jealous he is for your heart. He will ask you to give everything. He he will point at the one thing. You said everything except this, and, and the Lord's laser beam will go on that one thing and say, no, I want that. You will be surprised at how jealous his love is. 
And the second thing that will surprise you is his generosity. I want to look first at his jealous love. This is Mark chapter 10. Jesus approaches the rich young ruler, or the rich young ruler actually approaches him, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So the whole rich young ruler theme was around Alice and I. We, we were in Missouri for vacation this last week, and um, I was studying Mark. I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm, I'm doing a trip to Asia to visit our, uh, our YWAM base there, and I'm, I've been asked to speak on Mark. And so I had already, I'd already been thinking about this passage in Mark about the rich young ruler, but... Um, the real encounter with this was Alice. Alice has given me permission to share, which you need to know what a privilege that is. Alice never shares. <laughs> she, would never, she would never allow me to just share something. And so this is very special. Here's what the Lord spoke to her, showed her. She was having trouble relaxing. We're on, we're on our second day there. I am in full relax mode. She's just like, I, can, I, can't, I can't seem to relax. I can't seem to let go. And the Lord spoke to her from the rich young ruler and said this, your wealth is your children. She, she loves our family. She's got a prayer for Matt. She's got a prayer for Anne. She's got a prayer for Christina. And she's got a prayer of Beth. And she holds on to these prayers and these desires that she's pushed with them and pushed with them and asked God and pressed in and, and believed God and confessed for all of these things that she wants for her children. And the Lord spoke to her and said, your wealth your wealth is your children. I'm calling you to let go of them. And, and she saw this passage about Jesus. It was his love. It was his love that asked him to let go of his wealth. And she didn't want to go away sad. She didn't want to be the one to go away and say, sorry, you can't have those. You can't have that. That's too close to my heart. You can't have that. She didn't want to be that one. And so she let go of her children and gave them, gave them to God. Gave all of these prayers that this is what Matt needs, this is what, she gave them to God. Whatever happens, happens. I give them to you. Something amazing happened in my wife. She just started being at peace and just started having a great week. And I said, honey, what's happened to you? And she, t she had already told me what had happened to her. She said, I told you what happened to you, to me. 
I let go of the kids. I said, oh, we talk about letting go of the kids, but you don't usually let go of them. <laughs> you know, a lot of times what we do is we not, we're not really praying. We're worrying in God's presence. We're not really planning on trusting him because it's too important to us. So we come before God, we've got this problem, and we give it to him, and then we take it back and to carry it with us into our regular lives. It's surprising. But she said, I don't want to, I don't want to go away sad. I, 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 want, I want to give Jesus my wealth. Jesus loves the rich young ruler just like he loves every single one of us. But when the rich young ruler goes away, when he gives him a direct command and that rich young ruler walks away, Jesus doesn't follow him. Jesus doesn't bargain with him. Folks, you don't bargain with a king. When a king tells you to do something, you either do it or you don't do it. You don't get to bargain with him, even though he loves you. He goes away sad, and the next verse does not say, and Jesus chased him and said, please don't feel bad. Let me read to you one of the most sobering scriptures that I've ever read. This is John 6, verse 66. Jesus had been speaking some very difficult things. And it says that, that, that some were saying, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And then listen to John 6, 66. Many of his disciples... Many, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. I'm going to read it again. Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. You know what Jesus did? When they withdrew from him, they didn't sign up for this much. They didn't sign up for fire. They didn't sign up for jealous love. They wanted just, they wanted, they saw goodness, they saw beauty, and they wanted a little of it as part of their life. They didn't sign up for these difficult sayings, these hard commands. They didn't sign up for that. So they just, they pulled back from him, and they didn't walk with him anymore. You know what the next verse says? It doesn't, here's what it doesn't say. And Jesus went after them and said, please come back. Please come back. Listen, I'll, I'll explain everything and I just, I love you so much and I just want you near. No, no. You know, what, you know what the next verse says? He turns to the people that are left and says, what about you guys? Are you leaving too? Guys, kings don't bargain. Kings don't bargain. You, you don't, they don't answer to us. 
And Peter doesn't say, no, well, we understand what you were trying to say. No, here's what, here's what Peter says. Where else will we go? We do, we're as confused and troubled as everybody that left, but we have nowhere else to go. You have words of eternal life. We're hanging in there. We are not withdrawing. We are walking with you. This is, this explains the great mystery as to why so many go to church but don't feel like they've got a living relationship with God, don't feel like God speaks to me. Why did God speaks to the pastor but he doesn't speak to me? Why doesn't he speak to me? You know what? Maybe he has spoken to you. Maybe he has spoken to you and you withdrew because it was too hard, too difficult, too invasive. You withdrew and even though you're his disciple, you're no longer walking very close to him. And whenever you try to get back to him and come back to him, he keeps bringing up that same thing. Get over it, God. I told you I'm not doing that one. Um, can't we move on? And here's what the king says. No, I never move on. I want your heart. I want your heart. And I need unconditional surrender. This is the gospel. This is the real gospel. Jesus is jealous. His he can't turn his love down, folks. Praise God, let's move past that point. Thank God. So living in light, living in light of the upper story, we respond to his jealous love, and then secondly, we respond to his generosity. First, we trust him for ourselves. Listen to what he says to Peter and the apostles. This almost sounds crazy, but listen to what his heart is. So the, so the, he's, the rich young ruler goes away with nothing. Peter turns to him and says, what about us? We've left everything for you. What about us? And here's what he says to them. This is Mark 10, 28 and 29. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. He didn't want, he didn't need to have all of the rich young ruler's money. That had nothing to do with his money. When the rich young ruler said, I've obeyed all of the commands since my youth, he, he listed five commands, five of the, there's four vertical and there's, there's, there's six horizontal. He lists four of the horizontal. The one he leaves off is, you shall not covet. He never said he kept that command because his money was everything. God wasn't after his money. He was after his heart. You, you are bound by your money. I'm, 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 I'm cutting it out. You let go of it. You respond to me. You will experience generosity beyond anything you could possibly imagine. I can give you a hundred times more than what you give away. 
God is insanely generous, folks. When you truly let go of something and he gets that thing out of your hands that you have been holding on to that has actually enslaved you. Sometimes it's a desire you have. Sometimes it's, it's your plan. Sometimes it's, it's your children. Sometimes it's your money. Sometimes it's your... And he, he, he gets that thing finally out of your hands. Do you know, notice what happens to your hands? Your hands are now empty to receive whatever he wants to give you. But you live free from your stuff free from your title, free from having to be something. You're just Jesus's. He is insanely generous when we trust him completely, when we give him our wealth, when we give him that which he asks for. Romans 8, 32 How will he who gave his only son, not with him, freely give us all other things? God's not a withholder. He's a giver. He withholds no good thing from those that walk uprightly. And then his generosity through us to others. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Actually, we have this one. Good. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is amazing. Get this into your heart and into your mind. God is not holding the world's sin against them. Jesus came and took away the sin of the world. There is an open path for every single human being to come to God. Nobody has been so bad, so selfish, so murderous, so hateful, so jealous, so just mean that Jesus did not die from them and remove that. And so God's message to every one of us is be reconciled. Be reconciled. I love you. Come to me. Come to me. Lose your life and take up my life, my eternal life. I'm, it's a gift for you. The wages of sin is death, but my free gift is eternal life. Come. I, I've done everything to make you right with me. And then once we say yes to that, this is, this is just amazing. You could, you could say yes today. You could be reconciled today and, make, and get right with God today. And not only do you get saved and get reconciled, but you are given right now a ministry called reconciliation to people that are outside of this building. Everyone in this place has a ministry called the ministry of reconciliation. We are God's message. We are God's messengers of reconciliation to this world. Paul was God's messenger. That's what I called it, a messenger from God. 
and you are a messenger from God. Well, Pastor Tom, who would I go to? Oh, my. You don't know how many people need to hear your message. There are a lot of people that are not going to come to church because there's a preacher. Has anybody noticed in America? People don't like preachers. People are very suspicious of preachers and of church. They're not, they're not coming because there's a big program or there's smokes or lights or mirrors or some big event. There's a lot of cynicism. People aren't coming because of that. Who's going to go to them? Well, God's got somebody to reach everybody. God's got your background, your training, your whatever your story is. That's, we're telling these stories on Sundays because everybody's got a different story. And that makes you a unique messenger to those that God is sending you to. So we have a guy in our church and he gave me permission at the men's retreat to tell his, a little of his story. And so it was about two months ago. He just got tired of his life. He got tired of doing the same thing over and over. He got tired, bored, uh, had been burned by so many different people. He, he did the unthinkable. He looked up Billy Graham on the internet. And he started watching Billy Graham. He came here to church. He sat on that pew the first time he was here, and he waited. I, pray, I was praying for people for about an hour. He waited all the way through, just tears coming down his face the whole time. And he said, I only trust two people. One is Billy Graham, and now I trust you. I want, I want to give my heart to Jesus. And he told me later, he said, I've listened to every, everything I can find by Billy Graham. I've listened to it twice. And now I'm listening to you. Now I'm listening to your CDs. Everywhere he goes, he's listening. He says, he says here's the problem. I can't stop crying. I just, I can't stop crying. Well, he has a girlfriend, longtime girlfriend, and, uh, and she is one day in the car, she says, what, what, what is with you? What's going on with you? Here's how he explained it to her. He said, well, he said, it's kind of like this. There is a wide way that many, many, many people are on in America. And he said, and there is a narrow way that leads to life. Here's what's happening with me. I'm on the narrow way. Hmm. Okay. Well, then they're having dinner, and uh, it's not just her, but her son is there too, and her son is very into video games, and, and, uh, and, and he's very concerned about the son because of all of the, his whole life is video games. And so he's just at dinner, he's just sharing some things about Jesus about who Jesus is and what Jesus do, has done for him. And, and his girlfriend gets him alone afterwards and says, I don't want you effing pushing Jesus on us. I don't want to effing around my kids. I don't want you talking about, I don't want you. And it just, just, just reams him up one side, down the other. So he's, he leaves there and he sends her a text. <laughs> Here's the text. So is this going to be a problem? <laughs> But they've been together a while. And she texted back and she said, I, I don't know. 
I don't know. So he asked me, what, what am I supposed to do? I said, bro, God is protecting you from her and sending you to her. And not just her, her son. Now at some point, they might go away and want to be done, and, and, but don't you be the one to pull the plug. Because the very one that is attacking you is the one God is sending you to. Amen. Isn't that funny? Pastor Joseph Barrington was downstairs yesterday speaking to the men, and he talked about, about Jesus telling the disciples to, to, to go out and cast their net in the deep waters. And, and what he, he said is, we, we like to stay near the shore. The shore is where we're comfortable. The shore is where we, we feel like we're still in control. And Jesus says, I want you to go out to the deep water. I want you to go out where it's not comfortable. I want you to go out and I want you to, to put your net down there. And his encouragement to all of us is that Jesus loves people. But to reach them, we're going to have to do some uncomfortable things. We're going to have to talk to people that we don't necessarily want to talk to. We're going to have to forgive people that have hurt us because God is sending us to them. He's sending us to our enemies because they've been blinded by darkness, by Satan, and he wants to open their eyes and lead them to life. And he needs us to stay in there. We were in a cafe this week. This is after the rich young ruler experience that Alice had. And we're in this cafe, and I, I'm using the bathroom. I say, honey, I'll meet you out front. And I come out front. She's not there. I go to the back. She's not there. I come back out to the front, and there she is again. I'm like, honey, where did you go? And she said, well, I was standing here, and this guy walked past, and he had a, a, a little mini cast on his hand he walked past once but and then he walked past a second time and i'm like this has to be the lord and so she stops him and says sir what's tell me what's wrong with your your arm and he explains that he's got carpal tunnel and the whole condition and she she said would you would you mind if i if i prayed for you he was very happy to have her pray for him and so she prayed for him you say, well, Pastor Tom, you know, that's a, that's a cool story. Guys, this isn't me. This is Alice. This would be easy for me. This would be natural. for I'm, I'm that type of person. Alice is not that type of person. To go up to a stranger and say, what's wrong? Can I pray for you? It's not that she's great or that I'm great. It's that Jesus is great. And he loves people. And he needs us first to be reconciled ourselves. If there's something that's been between you and God and you have withdrawn from him and are no longer really walking very close to him, he's calling you back. He wants you in intimacy. He wants you to be reconciled. He's urging you today, be reconciled to me. Be reconciled to me. Trust me. Trust me with what's important to you. Trust me with your wealth. Let go of your wealth. Let me get it out of your hands. I've got so much more for you. And then he wants to send us 
to those that he actually has to protect us from (laughs) because they're mean, they gossip about us, they hate us, they betrayed us, they persecuted us. God says, yep, they've done all that. Yep, I'm sending you to them. Here's why. Here's why. I want them to receive forgiveness and I want them to be set apart by faith in me. Isn't he amazing? Could we bow our heads for just a moment? I just want to pray for two groups of people briefly and we will be gone. First group is this. You are here today and you need to be reconciled to God. This first group is not, you're, you're not coming back. This is, this is you, you don't know Jesus. You are in this place today. Maybe you came because you were watching the baptisms. Maybe you came because a friend invited you. Here's the bigger reason, the upper story why you're here. God's got you here. And God's not done with you. Maybe you were done with God, but God wasn't done with you. And you're here today, and he's speaking his jealous love over you. And he's saying, I I want to save you. I want to forgive you. I want to set you apart. But it's your choice. You can come close or you can withdraw in sadness. And if that's you today, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If Jesus is knocking on your door today, and you want to say, yes, Lord, I want to open my door. I want, I want you to save me. I want your gift of eternal life. If that is you, with every head bowed and eye closed, because it's between you and God, but I do like to have a show of hands because I like to help people pray the prayer because somebody helped me. If that is you today, Jesus is knocking and you want to open up the door and say yes to him, would you just raise your hand real high right now? I see that hand and that hand all over this place. Up in the balcony. I see that hand in the back of the balcony. And then you could put those. I see that hand, buddy. God bless you. I see that hand over on this side of the balcony. Another young person. I love to see young people respond to Jesus. Could everybody that raised their hand just put your hand over your heart right now? Pray something like this in your own words. Lord, I don't know why but you're crazy in love with me and you have waited for me and you have been faithful to knock on my door and to even grant me an audience with yourself today just like you did with the rich young ruler just like you did with Paul maybe not as dramatic but nevertheless it's real and Lord I'm responding not to a preacher's voice but to your knocking and I'm, I'm, Lord, you see me right now. I'm opening my door and I'm saying, Lord, come in. Come in and save me. Come in and wash me. I, 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 re, I know I'm a sinner. I confess my sins to you and, and I receive your gift of eternal life. I receive this relationship with you that lasts for all eternity. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand together? The second prayer, you could probably figure out the second prayer. This is for believers. You are a disciple. 
and God's asking you to give your, whatever it is that's your wealth, maybe it's your dream, maybe it's your title, maybe it's your money, maybe it's your girlfriend, maybe it's your dream for a girlfriend, maybe it's your boyfriend, maybe it's your, your plan for your life, maybe it's, you know what? It, frankly, it could be anything. <laughs> it could be your video games, for crying out loud. <laughs> it's just the human heart. We, we latch onto things, and we say, God, everything except this. And today, the Lord is saying that. And you don't want to leave this place sad today. You want to leave this place free. Would you just open your arms like this and we're just going to pray this prayer. Lord, with fire in your eyes, you look into our hearts with love. It is your love that pierces us. It is your love that says, I need you to let go of that for real. And I need you to give it to me. Jesus, we miss your voice. We miss your closeness. We miss intimacy. We don't want to withdraw and not walk close to you anymore. We don't want to walk far away and not get too close or God might start speaking. We want to hear your voice. We want to know that voice that John the Baptist said, this is my joy to hear the voice of the bridegroom. I don't care about my ministry. I don't care that less people are coming than used to or that I've got more of this or less. This is my joy. This is what I'm about, that I might know him. Jesus, would you just wash away all of our sins, all of our covetousness, all of our lust? Just wash it away now. And bring us very, very close that we might walk with God. In Jesus' name.